Welcome to the Meaningful Work Matters podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Soren, founder of Eudaimonic by Design. On this podcast, we'll dive into the world of meaningful work, explore its complexities, and examine its impact on people and the organizations they're a part of. Each episode features insightful conversations with cutting-edge experts who are successfully navigating the challenges of meaningful work. We hope to offer you ideas, frameworks, and tools to unlock potential and design work that's fulfilling, impactful, and supports everyone's well-being. Subscribe or follow us now, and let's make meaningful work matter. About a year ago, Dr. Carol Riff, one of my all-time heroes in the study of eudaimonia, and the first researcher to really offer a comprehensive way to study well-being, cajoled me into writing an article with her about meaningful work for a special issue in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. We both knew that tons of research was being written on the topic each year, and most of it trumpeted meaningful work as a great thing that everyone should want. Good for the person, great for business. But we also knew that meaningful work wasn't always such a good thing, and certainly not in every situation. Months of research, writing, and peer review later, the article's in the world. There's a link to it in the show notes for this episode. It covers the gamut from hard science on the impacts of work on our health and well-being to the ways that some organizations use meaning to exploit employees in search of greater motivation and performance. We reviewed hundreds of studies on the topic, and it turns out that while meaningful work is indeed great for our commitment, engagement, and overall performance at work, there's also a dark side. The more meaningful our work, the more likely we are to become obsessed, to open ourselves up to exploitation, to suffer burnout especially when meaningful work isn't decent first. That's what this podcast is all about. We know that meaningful work matters, but we also have to think a little bit about how we create the conditions where people can truly thrive while doing meaningful work. This podcast is about offering evidence-based practices that policymakers, organizational designers, leaders, and individuals can use to embrace a more eudaimonic way of thinking about meaningful work. Over the next couple of months, I'm going to be interviewing a whole bunch of researchers and positive deviants who can help us bring to life the insights we've learned about meaningful work. But before we get there, I want to set the stage by telling you a little bit more about what meaningful work is and what we've learned about it. Meaningful work is often defined in the literature as work that's personally significant and worthwhile. And I have to pause on that because the reality is, is there are a lot of people who have studied meaningful work over the last 20 or 30 years, and many people would offer very different definitions. In fact, there are something like 36 different definitions of what meaningful work is in the literature, but the vast majority of folks who do study the topic tend to reduce it down to the fact that work that is personally significant and and worthwhile is meaningful work. And meaningful work shows up in all sorts of different ways. It shows up in the tasks that we do on a daily basis, the roles that we hold at work, the interactions that we have with our colleagues, our customers, our stakeholders, and the organizations that we're a part of, and what that organization represents in the world. All of those things are different facets of meaningful work, and all of those things have been studied a lot over the last 30, 40, 50 years. In fact, if you look at stats around meaningful work in the publication 
you can see that it has exponentially grown, especially over the last decade or so. In fact, half of all studies on meaningful work have been published since the year of 2019. A lot of those studies basically conclude that meaningful work is really good for our success and for our well-being. Those studies suggest that when we experience meaningful work, we also tend to feel a great deal of organizational commitment. Our personal and our work engagement tends to go up. We demonstrate more citizenship behaviors. We have higher job satisfaction. There's more creativity and innovation in the way we approach our work. We are absent from work a whole lot less. We intend to quit our jobs a whole lot less. And when all of those things are happening, most people tend to believe that our well-being tends to be increased because there's so much success. There's so many positive things. We have such great sense of meaning that our well-being tends to increase because at the end of the day, meaning is a key aspect of our well-being. The only problem is that it doesn't always happen that way. One of the most important articles that we read in the making of this article was written by Bunderson and Thompson back in 2009. And they conducted a study on zookeepers. Now, zookeepers do deeply meaningful work. Their work is so meaningful that they often refer to it as a calling. Animals live or die in their keep. And they're often responsible for animals who are at the very end of their species. If they don't do a good job, some of those species might actually go extinct. So not surprisingly, they put in a lot of effort, they put in a lot of time, and they tend to become obsessed with their work. They say that their work is so important, they would do it even if they weren't paid for it. And what Bunderson and Thompson found is that they often aren't paid for it nearly as much as they should be. In fact, zookeepers get exploited often by the zoos who are employing them, not necessarily intentionally, but they are asked to work longer, they are paid less, and they are often exploited. This phenomenon is really revealing of what the dark sides of meaningful work are all about. When work has a really high moral stake for us, what can happen is that the boundaries between work and our lives get eroded. We become obsessed with the work that we're doing. We personally feel like the work is its own reward, and therefore we accept less pay. That is often noticed or just taken for granted in organizations that we're a part of. And so organizations that employ people who do deeply meaningful work often do pay their employees less, much like the zookeepers. All of that tends to lead to a whole bunch of negative emotion, including career regret on the part of the people engaging in deeply meaningful work. That tends to lower life satisfaction. It increases the amount of stress people feel, and it eventually leads somebody to burnout. This is the dark side of meaningful work. At least it's the dark side if we don't have decency as part of the equation. What do I mean by decency? Well, the Industrial Labor Organization, which is a part of the UN, defines decency in four ways. They say that work is decent when it gives us freedom, freedom from things like psychological and physical harm or domination, but also freedom to have autonomy to be able to make choices about what's right or wrong, to be able to choose our own adventures, to be able to be our best selves at work. Work is decent when it gives us equity, when it allows us to feel a sense of security, and when it gives us dignity in our lives as human beings. And this is important 
because in the words of the industrial labor organization, work is part of everyone's daily life. And it's crucial to a person's dignity, its well-being, and our development as human beings. I mean, the reality is we do more work than just about anything else in our lives, maybe other than sleeping, at least for most of us. And so work should be decent and work should be meaningful, but it's often not. In fact, if we just look at the United States alone, about 43% of the working population is engaged in low-wage jobs where they earn about $20,000 a year or less. And these are people who are all around us. They're probably many of the people listening to this podcast right now. They're people who work in retail. They're people who work in care. They're people who ultimately serve us our fast food. They're people who are literally the ones creating the lives that we have today. And yet their work is neither decent nor necessarily meaningful. And there's consequences to that. Now, we're not the only ones to notice this. In fact, the Surgeon General of the United States has recently created a framework around mental health and well-being in the workplace. And as part of that framework, Vivek Murthy says that mattering at work, which he says is really the intersection between having dignity and meaning, is really central to our capacity to experience well-being at work. So we need to think about the societal implications of that. We need to realize that there's a lot at stake for how we think about meaningful work in the world. But there's also things that every organization can do to increase the amount of meaning and decency. A lot of that starts with the kind of values an organization holds. And the research tells us that values like care, connection, mutuality, fairness, integrity, excellence, these are the kind of values that really help people experience meaning and decency at work. But those values, they need to be put into practice. They need to inform how an organization hires people, how it rewards people, how it helps grow and develop people, how we manage performance, or even how we downsize in an organization. All of these are moments that matter when it comes to walking our talk on values. And of course, there's leadership. We need to think about the way leaders lead in organizations and whether they are demonstrating behaviors like clarity, authenticity, respect, helping people know that they matter, allowing people to operate with a certain degree of autonomy. In our organizations. All of these things are enabling conditions for both meaning and decency at work. And then, of course, there are individual strategies. It is important that we know our strengths, our skills, our passions. We can craft a job, even if the job that we have is the job that's been handed to us. We can still think differently about the goals that we're doing, the tasks that we have, the relationships that we hold, and think differently about the way in which we are motivated at work. And of course, we can tell different stories about the work that we're doing. No matter what our work is, there's often different ways to reframe, to recalibrate, to refocus. Over the course of this podcast, what you'll learn is that there is no wellness without fairness, in the words of the wonderful community psychologist, Isaac Prilintensky. What that means is that when we think about meaningful work, we also need to think about decent work. We can celebrate all of the psychological, the social, the organizational benefits that can come along with meaningful work, but we also need to think about the ways that those things can equally lead to exploitation or burnout.
the reality is there's so many good examples. There's so much positive deviance around what good looks like. This podcast is about trying to learn from it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Meaningful Work Matters. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if this episode resonated with you, please take a moment to leave us a review. Your feedback helps us make this podcast better and reach more listeners. You can connect with me, Andrew Soren, on LinkedIn or visit www.eubd.ca to learn more about eudaimonic by design. Finally, if what you heard today spoke to you, tell your colleagues and people in your community about our podcast. We really appreciate your support in making meaningful work matter. See you next time.